Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well? I hope so. So, guys, I uh, first of all just want to thank Jacob Dolezal for last week. I thought he did an amazing job, and specifically talking about an issue that he and I have um, walked through in his journey uh, a lot. Right, anxiety uh, being a being a common thread and being something that many people struggle with. A lot of people don't want to talk about. Uh, it's kind of coupled with depression, uh, things, not Jacob's, but people, uh, anxiety coupled with depression are, are issues that people often don't want to discuss. And we're going to hit on that briefly today uh, on the discussion of these things. As we conclude this series, The Art of Doing Good, uh, as we do that, I want to recap, I want to share with you where we've been, and then I want to walk you through uh, a very important concept that I believe if you will really engage with me, if you'll really give yourself to the message today, I think you will walk away um, encouraged, but I think you will also walk away challenged within your own worldview, within the way you process life and how things uh, work. So, so the first thing that we dealt with uh, when we worked through this art of doing good was that we are in fact made to do good. God is a good father, and God steps back from all that he makes in creation, and he declares that it is not just good, but very good. And when we look at that, we should take away this implicit reality that the creator makes things which are very good, and as image bearers, he's made us to make things which are very good. That's what he's designed us to do. Um, and so we have a responsibility, uh, both in the things that we craft in this world and the things that we, um, we uh, shape and, and mold and even affect in this world in any way, whether we're crafting them or not, uh, to bring about the maximum amount of good. And then the question arises when we talk about that is, well, what is good? And so we'll, we'll address that in a little bit more detail today. But in order to get to this place where we're bringing about the most good in the world, we have to recognize some things about ourselves. And this is where psychology and this is where the God who made psychological beings uh, comes together, right? And so we have to start talking first about who we are as individuals. And the structure that I gave you were, um, were that we have a structure and a function of ourselves, okay? And when those things are healthy... Uh, they actually produce natural things. They follow in and produce natural things, which ultimately at the top of this uh, structure that we're creating here, at the top is the most good in the world, the, the, the uh, creation of the most good in the world. So much of the redemption story is actually a story of fixing the structure and the function of self. Most of the redemption story, most of what we talk about with regard to sanctification, this process of becoming more like Jesus, is actually a fixing of the structure and the function of self. With the structure of self, we talked about categories like uh, character structure and defense mechanisms and conscious mind and unconscious mind. And if you want to learn more about that, just please just go back to the, the previous messages. Those will go in depth. Uh, then we talked about the function of self. These things coupled together represent these pillars for the structure of doing good. And so the function of self includes striving. All of us have things that we strive for. Hopefully we're striving for good. Hopefully we're striving for the things that God has declared to be good in our lives. Uh, it includes our behavior because behavior is not just a, a, a concept that we have. Behavior is not hopefully... Uh, especially with respect to Christian behavior, behavior is not just a, uh, a mentally accepted series of behaviors or series of actions that we think everybody ought to do, but they should be a series of actions that we do. Every one of us are carrying out these behaviors. Uh, we talked in this function of self about salience, this idea of, of what we foreground in our life and what we background in our life. And so when we have an unhealthy structure of ourselves, we tend to foreground a lot of bad stuff, right? Um, if you were abused or mistreated as a child, it's going to be easy for you not that you want this, but it's going to be easy because it's more of a default position for you to uh, foreground abuse and, and these kinds of chaotic things in your life. And so the natural tendency is that the sins of the father are revisited on the son, and, and that's just simply a, a metaphor, or an idea to communicate that uh, 
we learn, right, and we grow in this stuff. And so what, what sins our parents uh, were participating in often affect their children, and the same for us and our children and so on down the line. And I would go further and say that it expands beyond just your children to those you influence, right? Uh, if, you are, if you're a coach or if you're a teacher in some capacity, there's a large likelihood your attitudes and actions in the world, your structure and function of self are, are, being, uh, are influencing the people underneath you. And so we have to be careful about that. But we talked about salience, what we foreground, what we background, and hopefully that stuff becomes healthy. Then we talked about defense mechanisms in action. It's one thing to have a defense mechanism. It's another thing for you to play it out, for you to live this out. And so we talked about what that looks like in a healthy way. And then it all leads to a kind of an awareness of a self that you have that is bringing to bear, hopefully, good in the world. Now, when you have a healthy structure and a healthy function of self, you, uh, what, what that leads to is an empowerment in life and, hopefully, humility. When you have a structure and a function of self that is honest compared to the rest of the world, sees yourself in respect to the vastness of God's creation, humility should be the default. You should recognize you're not God's gift to the world. Amen? Right? You should realize you're not the only one on this planet. Amen to that one, right? Um, maybe you still need to recognize that, some of you, but right, you need, to, you need to work through this. But what happens is this empowerment comes because you actually know who you are and you know how you're supposed to act in the world. And humility comes because you see yourself rightly. You see yourself uh, in comparison to the rest of the world. When you are properly empowered and you have the right level of humility, you know that you have a responsibility to act. This is agency. And hopefully the fact that you can act, the fact that you, you are living and breathing, that you woke up this morning, should give you a measure of gratitude that you are, you're able to be used by God. How many of you woke up this morning thinking, I'm really glad that I'm alive? How many of you, if you're honest with me, woke up and you went, ugh, another day? Some of you did, okay, I just, I, I, want, I want that to be out there because we do this, right? And so there's a part of, and listen to me, there's a part of getting back to that healthy structure and function of self to where what ends up, what, what is the result is you wake up and you go, okay, I've had some bad days, I've had some rough days, I've had some good days, whatever it is, but today is another one and I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be alive. Now, I want to urge you, if you are struggling with that gratitude of just being able to breathe and being able to affect change in the world, if you're struggling with that, let's get help. Let's start working at this together, right? This is what it means to get a healthy structure and function of self, okay? So we start there, and then what happens when agency and gratitude and empowerment and humility and structure and function of self are all healthy and they're working towards the same end? We end up in peace and contentment and joy and doing good in the world. Because what these things all play into are these drives that are, that are moving us. How many of you know that you have a drive for passion in life and pleasure? Yes, you have a pleasure drive, a passion drive. You're moved towards things that make you feel good. How many of you also know that that's not bad? It's really important. It's not bad. It's good. God made us to enjoy the pleasures that he made us to enjoy. There are pleasures that he didn't make us to enjoy, and we've got to be careful with that, but we have a pleasure drive. How many of you know that you have an aggressive drive? Yeah, Mark's, oh yeah, because he knows he's aggressive. Anyway, right? So how many of you know that that can be healthy? Yes, it, it can be healthy. Any action that you're bringing into the world, any kind of uh, good that you're producing, it's going to tap into that aggressive drive. You need some sort of, what I would rather call that drive is a proactive drive. You are proactive in the world, okay? And then all of that leads to something that psychologists are working through now, and that is what is termed as the generative drive. The, the, a drive that generates things outside of yourself for others besides yourself, right? You know, so for the people of the world. So you have a pleasure drive, an aggressive drive, and a generative drive, and when everything's healthy, you are generating the most good in the world. And that is a beautiful thing for us to live for. Now, as we're working through this, though, we come into, uh, we come into um, 
dealings with questions that really do stop us and challenge us at the core of who we are. And today's question is going to challenge us at the core of who we are. There's a comedian that is out there. Uh, His name is Jeff Dye. I don't recommend Jeff Dye necessarily. I think he's funny. He's terribly inappropriate, but uh, I think he's a funny guy. And he does this comedy bit that I, that, uh, that I listened to. And when he ended this piece, it was this moment of a gut punch in life because I realized that this is the wrestle that we have as Christians, especially. Jeff Dye talked about a, a particular naming of a people group and that over time that name has changed. But when you look at the past to the name that this people group was called way back in the past, uh, we might view that as very bad, okay? But as time has progressed, the name has become acceptable or names are acceptable throughout certain generations. And, And he ends this thing by showing that his grandmother called a people group this thing, his mother called a people group this thing, and by the way, this is not to do with race, just in case you were wondering that, um, called a people group this thing, and then his mother called that same people group this other thing, and then he and his sister called this people group yet another thing, and, uh, and, and each hated the previous generation. Each were like, how dare you say that of, uh, of a people group? And what he concluded, and this is the most powerful thing, he ended the comedy bit by saying, what you must realize is that you're not good. You're just current. You're not good you're just current. There are things over time that have been viewed as bad, but that over time change to be good. And you look at it and go, this is acceptable. We can do this, right? But you're only saying that it is good because it is currently accepted as good. And the opposite is true too. There were things that were viewed as good in the past, but as life and culture has progressed, we view them as bad. Now, and so it's really important for us to ask the question of ourselves, and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of this today, ask the question of ourselves, the good that we're generating in the world, the good that we're defending in the world, the good that we're fighting for in the world, here's the question, is it truly good or is it merely current? And this is an important question, and I know that the things that I'm going to talk about today will challenge many of you. Okay, let's take one as an example of this used to be bad is now seen as good. Uh, In the 1920s, all the way up to 1933, we entered this phase in culture uh, that we're all familiar with, or at least you know the name of it. It's called prohibition, right? And in the 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution, they enacted in 1920 a prohibited manufacturing, sale, and transportation of what? Alcohol, right? You guys know this, right? This era, again, known as prohibition, aimed to do something important. Reduce crime. They wanted to um, reduce corruption and address social issues that are associated with alcohol consumption. You guys all know that this is the case, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the problem. It actually didn't do its job. The exact opposite is what occurred when... And I'll get to this at some point today, this concept of legislating righteousness. And I want to talk about something I think that needs to be said with respect to this idea. So so what happened in many ways with prohibition was a legislated thou shalt not. And what it actually resulted in was uh, illegal speakeasies and uh, organized crime and all kinds of things. To the point that in 1933, the 21st Amendment repealed the 18th Amendment, ending prohibition for good. You see, the consumption of alcohol, whether you like this or not, whether you can take this down in your deep heart or not, alcohol is not bad. What you do with it is another story, right? Did you know that in Ecclesiastes and in the book of Proverbs, God says that wine was given for the gladness of man's heart? You're going to have to deal with that if you have this it's just bad issue. 
What you need to ask the question of when you're dealing with these issues is what I am for or against. Is it truly good or bad or is it just a current issue? When it came to prohibition, alcohol was bad. It was the devil's nectar, right? Right? Some of you probably think that still, right? And then it moves all the way to this side where it's good, it's acceptable, and it's everywhere. Which one is it? The answer is it's neither good nor bad. But current culture says lots of things about it, okay? Something that you have to wrestle with. Another thing that used to be viewed as bad and thankfully is accepted as good, right, is interracial marriage. And by the way, many of the things I'm going to talk about become even worse when it comes to the way the church views it. The church makes this stuff muddier and more chaotic than anything else. Interracial marriage bans were actually very common in various parts of the world. Historically, many places had these laws prohibiting individuals of different races from marrying and having children, and they did so for what they believed were good reasons. No, they were current reasons, and they sure weren't good in the long run. They actually wanted to uh, maintain racial purity. You knew that sounds an awful lot like Hitler, right? Like this is insanity, okay? But guess what? Many in the church were 100% behind it, holding to this fast. You can't intermarry with different races. Was it good or was it current, right? And trust me, we're just going to keep hitting till you you get to something that is really hard for you to wrestle with. Uh, The third one that I want to share with you today, there's many more. Uh, Women in the workplace. Women in the workplace. And this expands beyond women in the workplace in the church setting to women in leadership and, and what the views of male and female are, right? The history of women in the workplace is definitely evolved through distinct phases in American history, at least. In the 19th century, women were largely confined to domestic, low-wage jobs, okay? In the 20th century, saw a temporary expansion of women's roles during wars. This is what I find fascinating. Women shouldn't be in the, in the workplace. That's bad. Until we need their help, then it's good. Why do we do this with good and bad? Why do we do this? Because it's not actually good or bad. It's just these weird opinions that we come up with, right? So the 20th century saw a temporary expansion of women's roles, at least during wars. Post-war expectations leaned towards on, uh, leaned heavily into gender roles, and we'll talk about that. In the 1960s and 70s, that was marked by what movement? The feminist movement rose to, to, uh, to uh, notoriety in that time, advocating for equal opportunities, although that wasn't exactly what was understood, right? And so there's still fight and argument about this, too. Legislation such as the U.S. Equal Pay Act in 1963 addressed gender-based wage disparities in the late 20th century and beyond, witness increase in female representation in various professions, right? Challenges to uh, ceilings, you know, wage ceilings or pay gaps or work-life balance still go on today, don't they? We still have these discussions today. And the question is, Are these things, are women in the workplace good, are they bad, or is it just a current issue? When you're wrestling with bringing about the most good in the world, you have to ask yourself the question, am I truly about good, or am I about my pet project? Am I about my current fad? Am I, instead of a culture warrior, I'm a current warrior? Not a good warrior, but a current warrior? This is a question that we have to ask as we move through this. Uh, here's, a, here's a big one right now, because it just hit Ohio in a fun way, right? The decriminalization and the legalization of marijuana, not medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, marijuana in general. Here's the question that Christians actually have to wrestle with. Is this good? Is this bad? Or is this current? And before you just answer without thinking about it, stop and think about it, right? You actually have to wrestle with these matters, okay? 
Because these are fascinating times that we live in, and we are supposed to be a people with a healthy structure and function of self that lead into agency and humility and gratitude, right, and empowerment in the world so that we're bringing about the most good, and my fear is that the far majority of Christian acts have to do with current things and not necessarily good And I think we all wrestle with this. And here is the other issue. When you start to really get to the nitty-gritty on this, people split company, and they leave churches, and they start bringing out their pitchfork and their torches, and they begin to hate each other. Why? Because they're obsessed with believing their current thing is actually the good thing, or the current thing is the bad thing, or whatever. Now, let me state this very clear so that you understand There are good things, objectively. And there are bad things, objectively. But the lines between the two are not as easy as we want to think they are. It's not as black and white as many of us have been raised to think or we would like to think for the peace and mind, uh, uh, peace and comfort of our own minds. You all know that this is a big one right now, but... Same-sex marriage was viewed as bad and wrong. What is it today? It's legalized, it's accepted, it's promoted, it is celebrated in our culture. So what do we do with these things? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it just current? This is where the Christian actually has to do their work. They have to start studying what does God say. Because the question that's really rearing its ugly head right now is what is objective good? And am I for that? Am I going to give myself to that? Or am I going to give myself to the current thing that I'm excited about? Or the thing that mamma and grandma always told me was so horribly bad, so I've got to stay away from it? Or am I going to actually look at what is true? A few examples of things that were once stigmatized or considered negative by culture, but are now generally accepted, even widely viewed as positive. Number one, tattoos. How many of you grew up in a world where if somebody had a tattoo, you were like looking at them crazy? Like, what the heck are you doing, right? I had this conversation with Adam this week because we talked about the interplay inside of the church and the challenge that that we face when we have uh, things like this, right? Uh, Tattoos are are still kind of in this weird in-between zone. But in the culture, nobody's asking the question if tattoos are good or bad. Culture's just like, cool, it's good. The church is divided, right? Some of the church say, that sounds like a good plan to me. Some of it say the Bible says that it's uh, prohibited, it's bad, and therefore it's no good. By the way, the Bible doesn't. There's a specific kind of tattoo that the Bible actually addresses. But here's the point. Fights still ensue. Why? Because that's bad. No, this is good. And then what happens is we demonize each other. So if you actually think tattoos are good, then the person who thinks they're bad looks at them and says, you're just just co-opted. You're just giving in to the culture. You're just, before too long, slippery slope fallacy, before too long, you'll be worshiping the devil, right? I mean, that's that's the extreme of what we do, right? It's just absolutely insane. What is good? What is bad? What's current is the question, right? And so we, we don't know. Tattoos are an example. We talked just a second ago about, uh, about this mental health thing, right? And so the idea of mental health is another issue that is like, wow, what do we do with this? Is this good? Is this bad? Is it current? And in particular, discussions about mental health. For too long, discussions about mental health were just bad. Don't talk about this stuff. This is taboo. This is no go, Right? Many in the church struggle with having these discussions because they don't have an answer to the world's question, which is, why do these bad things happen, and where is God in the midst of this? The church likes to play a game like, well, the only reason these things exist are either one, the fall, which I understand that, number two, 
uh, oh, you didn't have enough faith. You should have prayed harder about it. Your child would be different. No. You just clearly don't know what you're talking about. And this is a challenge that we face. Good, bad, current, right? It's important to note that societal views of these issues vary. And these examples represent trends and cultural attitudes, which means in many ways these things are at best current, right? Whether they're good or bad. How about things that were once accepted in society uh, as good and now are viewed as bad? And I'm giving you these examples to really tease this concept out so that you can begin to wrestle with the stuff that you face as a Christian. And we're going to be jumping into a bunch of scriptures here in just a second. But uh, one thing that was viewed as good and now is viewed as bad is smoking. Right? How many of you have seen those old ads where they're like, doctors, number one recommended cigarette? You're like, what were these guys smoking, right? Like, it's obviously more than cigarettes, right? You know, so so uh, smoking was one. In the mid-20th century, smoking was often portrayed as positive, right? It was, it was wildly socially uh, acceptable, right? And then research started to reveal the risks associated with chemicals and things in to cigarettes, you know, tar and, and, and all of these different, uh, different chemicals that really create problems, right? And so then it becomes stigmatized. And then what happens? We have a drastic change in the culture. And we just shut this thing completely down. That is what happened, right? Another thing that was viewed one time as good uh, and now is viewed as bad, or it's viewed as bad, and hear me clearly, along political lines, would be environmental practices. Industrial practices that were once celebrated, I mean, I'm not really sure why a lot of things were celebrated when you dump chemicals into water, but, but at times there were things like this that were very popular, They're like nobody cared, it wasn't a big deal. And then what we had was we had the complete destruction of the water source in Flint, Michigan, killing lots of people, right? And then we see a problem, okay? But along these environmental lines comes the great debate and the fights and the just the pandering and nonsense that goes on between people who are advocating for what they believe to be the good solution. Is it a good solution? Is it not? Is it current? What is it? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves. And those of you who are deeply political minded, you need to be careful when it comes to good, bad, and current, especially when you begin to mix this with your faith. Because all too often, Christians who have deep, profound political views that attach it to their faith find themselves on the wrong side, and I know what this is going to sound like, it sounds like some weird current talking point, but they find themselves on the wrong side of history because they took a stance on something they didn't fully understand. You want to know one of those? Slavery was one of those. Interracial marriage was one of those. Our views on alcohol is still one of those. These are issues. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it just current? Do we even know what we're talking about is a good question to ask. Here's another one that will hit close to home for many of you. Parenting practices. You know what used to be considered good? Smack them upside the head. Gave them a healthy sense of self. <laughs> At least it jarred their brain into healthy, right? Or maybe it gave them a concussion. I don't know. But the point is, it was once viewed as good. And now, everybody's scared. You do anything like this, you do it on screen. And what are you afraid of? Somebody's going to call CPS on you. You're worried about all kinds of issues. You know what's really crazy? some of you that have dealt with this stuff, right? All because you wanted to do something. But look at this. It's really interesting. Many parents dug their heels into the idea of certain parenting practices because they had an interpretation of the Bible and they determined what good meant. I'll give you an example. If you spare the rod, you spoil the child, but it wasn't actually understood in context of a rod of discipline. It was literally viewed as a rod. So if you didn't beat your child, 
You clearly didn't care about them. And then that judgment passes off to the next generation, says, where's your paddle? You don't have one? Oh, you liberal softy. Like, what is that? Right? That's unbelievable. But what you should be looking at is if you are not going to discipline your children, you have a problem. They will become spoiled. It's a fact. How many of you know that there are different modes of discipline? This is like amazing, right? How many of you found this out much later after your children had really worn out butts? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But we have these views of things, and then we move ourselves towards this, and we say, this is what is good, and the truth is, it's just what is current. How many of you ever heard of Dr. Spock? Yeah, that was current at one point. Was it good? I don't know. I don't know. There might have been some things, right? But not all things. How many of you know that psychologists and psychiatrists and this kind of mental uh, health uh, kind of uh, groupings, that's what they've always been working on. They've always been trying to help us to figure out how to do, deal with people better, right? They set out some good things. They set out some bad things. Largely, we adopt the current thing, and then it disappears over time. So when it comes to the good that we want to generate in the world, we have to ask ourselves the question, is it truly good or is it just current? Something that used to be viewed as good but is ever increasingly being seen as bad. Colonialism, imperialism, capitalism. You guys are looking at me like, Watch where you go here, Nathan. And the fact that that attitude is present is proof of what I'm saying. Just be careful. What is good or what is current? And then you have to take time to, to realize we as Americans, and this is really hard for many, many Americans to deal with, we are a blip on the radar of human history. We've not been around all that long, guys. And what we do is we say, no, nope, our way, only way. We've already learned that some of our ways are not the best ways. You know how many nuclear bombs we dropped after Hiroshima? Not, because it's a bad situation, right? You know what I'm getting at? We're learning what is good, what is bad, what is, what is current, Certain dietary practices, these are things that we face on kind of on a daily basis. How many fad diets do you guys know about? It's too many to count, right? But it's the greatest thing, and then it's the worst thing. And what's crazy about social media is it's all good until tomorrow, and then it's all bad, and it changes that fast. You're like, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing keto. Keto will kill you. Holy, what, what changed? One day, that's all that changed. It just doesn't even make sense, right? But that's the world we live in. It's important to recognize that these shifts in perception are influenced by evolving knowledge, changing social norms, deeper understandings of various issues. Cultural values and perspectives continue to shape our assessment of what is considered good and what is bad. And you know what? History tells us what was current. Because history doesn't keep a record of lies. I mean, sure, if you want to talk about who wins the wars, maybe. But it's funny when you look back at history, you're like, wow, we sucked as people then. <laughs> right? Oh, we were doing good. Nope, that was a bad thing. Right? Because history isn't a liar in that respect. We can keep going through these, guys. Uh, traditional gender roles are an example of this. We talked about women in the workplace, but now we deal with gender roles. And what were widely accepted at one point are seen as poor or, or bad or, or absolutely oppressive in today's culture. Women who say, I want to be a stay-at-home mom are viewed as being imprisoned in some sort of patriarchal uh, system, Right? That's the view of it. And yet I know many women who go, that's all I've ever wanted to be. And it's awesome that they get to do it, right? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it current? What's actually going on? I'll tell you how petty it can get. We can get all the way down to people fighting over uh, whether or not you should have your children at home or in a hospital and whether or not you should breastfeed. 
This is just how crazy this is. There's good, there's bad, there's current, and there's wars over every one of the positions, right? But we're supposed to be a people who generate what in the world? Good, not what's current. And sometimes as Christians, we waste our breath, our energy, our time, our everything fighting for current matters that will fade in the next day. And we're not a people that care about what is truly good. Or we're so misguided ourselves that we've bought into the lies that were told to us and we're just some sort of of crusader for some current nonsense that has been put before us. There are views that go back and forth. Divorce is a view that goes back and forth. Gambling is a view that goes back and forth. Interracial marriage still seems to go back and forth in certain areas of the world. Believe it or not, the women's suffrage movement or the, the uh, allowance for women or the opportunity for women to vote is actually uh, has pockets even today that are like, this was a bad idea. Do you hear me? Like, What are we talking about? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it current? What's going on here? Religious perspectives also undergo these changes constantly. The ideas of slavery, the ideas of polygamy, the ideas of women's roles both in and outside of the church. So where are we? Where are we? What are we supposed to do? The question we should be asking is, is what I'm trying to generate, produce, support, be about in this world, is it good or is it current? Am I a good warrior or am I a current warrior? Paul seems to give us an instruction on what we're supposed to be doing when he tells us, hey, when it comes to politics, I know the world that you live in. Peter does the same thing with the people that live in in kind of Nero's uh, empire and in that world of the day. And Paul and Peter both seem to have uh, an approach that says, stay out of their business, but do good and live at peace with all people. And some of us look at it and go, I can't deal with this, Nathan, because I'm not in Rome. I belong to a culture that is of the people, for the people, and by the people. And to that I will say, you are right. You are of the people, for the people, and by the people. How many of you feel that you're actually being listened to? Show of hands. Raise them high if you feel everybody in government listens to me right? Huh, nobody's raising their hand? Why is that the case? Because you don't actually feel this is of the people, for the people, by the people. So in the meantime, what are you supposed to do? You're still supposed to call call to generate good in the world. You know what that means? Be at peace with all people as far as it depends on you. Guess what you've just learned? You've learned that there's an objective good. The problem is it has nothing to do with your political affiliation. It is peace. Uh Uh-oh. That's boring. That doesn't sound fun. That means I got to put down a lot of myself. No, you have to put down a lot of what you were told. What is good, what is bad, what is current. Jesus does the same thing when he tells people to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? The Bible provides guidance on what is considered morally good and how individuals should live righteous lives with this really important disclaimer that I want you to think through, and that is the difference between what was a rule for Israel and what is an objective rule for all mankind, something we have to wrestle with. Different passages emphasize different virtues, ethical conduct, the importance of love and compassion. These are the absolutes in this world. These are the things that are driving us to bring about good. So some of us might say, ah, it's the Ten Commandments. We should keep the Ten Commandments. Nope. Nope. What are you saying, Nathan? You don't want to keep the Ten Commandments? I don't think you should murder people, so please hear me clearly, right? Jesus himself didn't re-up the Sabbath rule. So is Jesus against the Ten Commandments? I don't know. Deal with that one, right? You're like, wait, I don't understand. There's a lot to argue and talk about on the cultural understanding of all these things. But here's what I'm telling you. Those laws and those rules were given for a time, for a people, at a point. And then Jesus comes and says, I got a better way for you. 
You're like, better than your good laws before? No, a way to show you how they should be lived inside of your life. Look at Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Remember, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet, but still, this is Jesus' teaching, and this is what we learn and what we understand. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. Now, that is a pretty impressive thing for a God to say, number two is like number one. And it doesn't sit well with a culture that says we need to create a hierarchy that God is number one and everybody else lands in this number order underneath. You will not be able to live a life where it's a numerical order. God says, you want to know how you love me? Love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love God without loving people. You can't do it. So don't try to put a weird order on it. Don't listen to all the fancy preachers and all their modern nonsensical ways of saying things. It is simple. God says there's two and they work together. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments, on these two commandments, depend the whole law. Oh, but let's add more. Not just the 10, the 613, but let's still go more and the prophets. Everything that they have ever spoken lands in these two things. You want an interpretation of how you should understand the Old Testament? Love God and love people, period. It's too simple. It's too simple, Nathan. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Yes, it does. And I'm going to go with Jesus and not with you. (laughs) Right? Right? This is the fact of it. Love God and love people. But here's the challenge. How do I love people? Oh, there's where we get real testy right? How should we love people? There's a conversation for an entire series and probably the rest of our lives. Jesus tells us exactly what we should do. Love God and love people. The Apostle Paul tells us what this kind of looks like in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. We're going to go all the way to 26, but listen to what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know what happens with your pleasure drive? It becomes subject to King Jesus, right? And all of your desires. And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful. There's one way of doing good in the world that is objective and not just current. Stop being a boastful, arrogant person. Be humble, right? Challenge one another. Challenge one another? Oh, I know what that means. It means post my nice little political thing on Facebook to piss everybody off. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Challenge one another is to do good. You have to know what good is before you can challenge each other to it. And what you're wrestling with is what is current. You're so obsessed with what is current to you that you're trying to challenge each other. You better support this issue. You better support this uh, candidate. You better support this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. No. What you should support is what is good. And what is good transcends all of your stupid. It's unbelievable, guys. But we don't put ourselves into it. We just get ourselves comfortable with what is current. And we give ourselves a lot, of, uh, a lot of pats on the back that we're doing the just and righteous thing. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. He goes on, Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... You who have a healthy structure and function of self, you who are doing what God has made you to do, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. Restore such a one with a passive-aggressive attitude because they're annoying to you. Oh, I forgot. That's in your Bible. That's not in the Bible, right? Each one looking to yourself. Why do I have to look at myself? So that you too will not be tempted. You remember that healthy structure and function of self leading to humility? (laughs) How many of you know you were all able to be tempted and able to fall in everything that you do? Make sure you know it. 
Because until you get that, you will treat others poorly. You will. It's a fact. So, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so now we have love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now, Paul says the law of Christ is bear one another's burdens. Because that's what it means to love other people. It's not just vague and generic. It's not whatever you want it to be. Loving another person in God's economy and moral structure and kingdom is you bear with them. That's a big deal. And it's super challenging. Bear with one another. So that you too may not be tempted, bear with one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he's not very humble. He deceives himself. Jesus takes it even further in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12, often referred to as the golden rule, right? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And you're like, Nathan, you started way before. No, I'm starting where context matters, right? Because we've missed this one as well, I'm afraid. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, uh, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If he then, if you then, being evil... It's just because we are not like God, right? Know how to give good gifts to your children, because we can do good. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? And look at what is said here. In everything, therefore, so all that he just said, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus didn't just give a command. He gave a way to understand the command, right? And that is this. If you're going to do unto others, right, if you're going to treat others the way you would want to be treated, you have to look back up here, and that would be to do good to them. How many of you would do evil to your children? I mean, maybe if you're really mad at them. No. How many of you would do evil to your children? Raise your hands. No, you're not. How many of you want to do good to your children? I hope everybody, right? Okay? We all want to do good because you want to give them the gifts that they need. You want to provide for them and care for them. And on the back of this analogy, Jesus says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you would want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. But what was the law and the prophets? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What did it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? To bear with their burdens. What else does it mean to love your neighbor or to love your children, to love the people around you? To give them good. But you're going to need to know what is good over what is current, or you're never going to do it. You're going to struggle with this. So we expand it to ideas of what this looks like. And, and honestly, it's mercy in action. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Mike Van Fleet read this very thing this morning as he's talking about what mercy works is about. Because what actually is happening here on Tuesdays? Generating good in the world. That's the point of it, right? And it's an objective good. It's not just what we currently feel is good, okay? It's a very clear expression of good. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Verse 37 then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and, you, uh, and come to you? And look at this answer. You can't love God without loving people. The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Hmm. So what is good? What is current? 
These are objectively good things. They will be around, and I hate to say this because I hope this day never comes. They will be around a long time after America falls. They have been here through countless creations of peoples and destructions of peoples. God's kingdom will not falter, church, because it's a kingdom that is based on what is good. It's important to note that interpretations of biblical teachings obviously vary, and it obviously causes a lot of fights and arguments and all these other things, but many of those things would be upended if we would just get back to the mission, which is to generate the most good in the world, to be a people who embody the virtues of King Jesus, to be a people who care more about what is objectively good over what is merely current. And so what I want you to do today, and what I want you to do with this entire series, is I want you to think about, am I healthy? Is the person that is known as me, the one I see in the mirror, is this person healthy? If I'm not healthy, do I know where to get help? If I am not healthy and I know where to get help, have I attempted to get help? How many of you know that you have some unhealthy spots in your life? How many of you know where to get help? How many of you just refuse to do it? Hmm. It's a challenge, right? So it's not enough to know. It's not enough to understand these things. We have to act. We have to do something. So what I want you to do, and I hope you'll do with this entire series, is you'll see that you are made for good. And that requires a healthy you. That healthy you is all about what the Christian sanctification message and salvation message are about. And if you will give yourself to becoming a better you, which will include somebody looking you in the eye and saying, are the things you care about good or are they just current? And you'll be humble enough to root out the nonsense and go after the things that King Jesus wants. Here's what I promise. It's not even my promise. It's just God's promise. You will generate good in the world. And it will be a good that God one day looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because it's his good. It's not your good. It's his good. It's not the culture's current. It's his. Amen? Amen.